Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. The Women of Golf Show is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Good morning. Welcome to the Women of Golf, the number one women's golf show around the world, with hosts Ted Odorico and Cindy Miller. Join them as they interview some of the best players from the Symmetra, LPGA, and Legends Tour, and so many others, helping to elevate women's golf. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Women of Golf. I, of course, am Ted Odorico, and right alongside is my partner in crime, uh, LPGA professional and Legends Tour player, Cindy Miller. Good morning, Cindy. How are you? Good morning, Ted. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. I'm going to speak about something here in just a moment, but I just want to let the folks know uh, we're going to start things off here in just a, a few moments, uh, an, another great discussion in the no BS zone. And then a little bit later on, uh, the second half, we're going to be joined by our very special guest, uh, Marissa Kulig-Crow. She's a Class A LPJ teach professional at Lyman Orchards in Middlefield, Connecticut. She'll be joining us on the second half. Um, some very sad news uh, for those in the golf industry, particularly on the teaching side. Um, Cindy, a, a very well-respected professional, Bill Abrams, uh, who many of you, of course, know and actually was a guest uh, on the Women of Golf a few years ago and has been a regular guest uh, and uh, guest panelist on Coach's Corner uh, on my other uh, show Golf Talk Live uh, for many years now and has become a, a good friend and actually contributed some tips uh, over the last year since I've taken over Golf Tips magazine. Uh, passed away yesterday. Um, very unexpected. Uh, don't really have a lot of details, um, but uh, very, very sad. In fact, um, Cindy, he was actually supposed to be on my show uh, Golf Talk Live on the panel uh, last week, but had to cancel um, last minute because he wasn't going to be able to get off the tee, uh, the lesson tee, if you will, uh, in time to be able to make it. So he uh, regrettably uh, canceled. But uh, very, very sad news. And I know you may not have known him that well, Cindy. I don't know if you've had any interactions with him other than uh, on our show. And I couldn't. I tried to find the date uh, that he was on. I think it's been a couple of years. But um, he came on and, and of course, talked uh, golf with us uh, at least on one occasion on this show. Your, your thoughts? I don't rem I I don't remember him and I don't know him, but that's absolutely horrible, and it was totally yeah, unexpected. And, yeah, very unexpected. Um, I you know this goes to show you don't go on social media at night. I literally, as I was getting ready uh, to, to hit the hay, knowing that we'd have this show this morning, um, just happened to do a. Uh, a little look-see on, on Facebook and actually saw a post uh, that he had passed away. And I've got to be honest, I was shocked when I saw it because, um, you know, my understanding, Bill was very healthy, you know, kept in good shape, you know, ate good, didn't smoke as far as I know, 
Um, and uh, it, it was very, very sudden. And I really don't know any details other than, uh, you know, the fact that he had passed. But I just want to mention a couple of things, uh, you know, just to show you. And, and I'm not going to obviously do that at all because there's, there's so many. But, um, you know, he was recognized uh, by so many in the industry. He was the 2019 Illinois PGA Teacher of the Year. And from 2015 right up to 2019, uh, he was recognized by the uh, Golf Range Association of America as one of the top 50 growth of the game teachers. Uh, 2018, U.S. Kids Level 2 Certified Teacher. You know, he just had um, also the two seven, uh, 2017, he was a Central Illinois uh, PGA Teacher of the Year and uh, just won numerous awards, many, many others, I say, going back to uh, when he began as a professional. Just very, very well-liked, very well-respected uh, by his peers and very sad to hear and I will certainly um, post something on uh, on social media when I uh, hear uh, more details. But I did put a post up. If you go to uh, if you're on Facebook, uh, if you go to Ted Odorico, uh, which is my homepage, I put it through many of the golf groups as well. Uh, you'll see a uh, a post there about it. So if you want to add any comments on there, I'd be more than happy uh, or any remembrance. But very very sad news, Cindy. And um, our our thoughts and prayers go out to his. His lovely family and, and close friends, uh, we're truly sorry at, at your loss, and uh, we'll keep uh, Bill always in our, our thoughts and prayers. And uh, rest in peace, my friend. Uh, you were you were a great professional and a great man and just a lovely human being. Very sad. Yikes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it just, you wow, know. And, wow, and I, wow, you know, the, you know, the truly sad part, Cindy, is... <laughs> you know, sort of bring things to home is he was around my age. I'm 57. I turned 57 this year. I think he was, you know, give or take a year or two, maybe in around my age group. So still lots of life, uh, you know, so we thought left in him. And as far as I understood, he didn't have any, you know, any underlying issues or, or any health uh, concerns to the best of my understanding. So it was really, really sudden. So it was, it was definitely a shock, but, um, but uh, anyways, uh, uh, just uh, very Boy, sad news you this, just uh, this don't morning. No. Yeah, that that uh. was the first thing I thought. You know, it, it just really puts, you know, and there's so many people, you know, Cindy, and I, I don't want to take too much time because I know we've got to, to do our show, but it, it just there's so many people that I've known, I'm sure you have known, who are have still been so young, still should have had so much life to live, or just for some reason, uh, you know, just suddenly up and one day and, and they're gone. And, uh, you know, I know that happens, but it just seems to be happening more and more. And I just don't know what, what, what's going on, but, uh, it's just really sad. I, every day I, or every, it seems like every day you get on social media and somebody, I, you know, friends from back home that I went to school with have passed on. And again, they're in my age group and it's just like, wow, you know, you don't expect that to happen until, you know, maybe their eighties or maybe possibly even nineties th- these days. And they're passing away in their fifties, some even earlier than that. It's just, very sad. Well, yeah, and the funny thing is that you talked to him last week, so it must have been a heart attack or something. God bless him and his family. Yeah, that, that's why I say it was very. It had to be very sudden because he was uh, he was on the show last month. He comes on every month, uh, first Thursday of the month, and um, I'm going to mention something again uh, this Thursday uh, on Golf Talk Live in, in remembrance of him as well, since he was a regular on the show. But uh, he'll definitely be greatly missed, had a lot of great input into the show, and just was a really stand-up guy, offered to provide some tips into, into the magazine as well this season. 
um, just anything you, you, you needed, he was there for you. And uh, just really sad that, uh, um, you know, that we've, we've lost a, a great professional. All right, we've got to move on. on um, but I uh, appreciate uh, everyone <laughs> listening to me for a few minutes uh, get that out. Um, all right, we're going to come into the no BS zone, Cindy, and I've put together a few tips. I know some of these we've obviously touched on before, so and we're probably not going to be able to get to all of them, uh, but these are 10 tips that will uh, improve your golf game. And I think the first one, Cindy, that I want to talk about, because I think this is a, an area um, I know that you like to, to help with in that, and that is to help golfers really identify their weakness. Um, what part of their game are they really struggling with? What's giving them the, the best, um, you know, difficulty uh, overall in their golf game? Um, what do you like to do, especially with new golfers? Uh, you know, do you put them through an assessment of some sort? What is it that you like to do? I find out what their wishes are. What What are you looking for, right? Um, what would mm-hmm. you like to fix? How long have you played? What do you shoot? Um, I find out if they have any physical issues that would prohibit them or deter them from being, you know, being able to swing. So I always do a little bit of an assessment just to find out, Mm -hmm. you know, what is it that you do? Sometimes when they say, well, I need to hit my driver further. They they believe they need to hit their driver further, but if their driver gives them issues, they don't even realize that maybe a four hybrid will be better. So I ask them right. to find out where they're coming from and what their thoughts are, and then um, we go from there. Typically, what their weaknesses are may not typically be their real weakness, if you will. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, and, and I think sometimes it's it, it's. You know, you've always said over the years that you like to, to find the why. Why are they there? And that tells a lot. You know, um, obviously they want to play golf, but at what level are, are they, you know, what their aspirations are, what their expectations are. And that can really point a lot to help you understand some of the weaknesses as well. If obviously, you know, if they have, uh, you know, unrealistic expectations um, and they just don't have the, the game for it, then they're not, you know, they they have to be able to be willing to put the work in too as well. And, you know, understanding where they're at and also understanding where it is that they want to go gives you a better idea of what to work on as well. I mean, if somebody comes out and says, well, you know, hey, I want to, you know, play on the PGA Tour and they're 48 years old, um, not saying it's impossible, nothing's impossible, um, but if they haven't played much golf, um, that's not a, a very good likelihood. So, you know, really understanding the why uh, that they're there as well, I think, is important. Uh, another one, too, we talk about this all the time, uh, but I want to attack this from a little bit different. You know, developing a pre-shot routine. Everybody just thinks about, well, you know, just developing and organizing your, your pre-shot thoughts and things, and that's important. I look at it from a different perspective. Th- that's part of it, but I also, Cindy, look at it from this standpoint. If you create a routine, a pre-shot routine, it gets you into a rhythm and pattern that you can carry throughout the rest of your round. If you're all over the place, if one minute you're doing one thing and the next minute you know you approach a shot and you're doing something entirely different, you're very disorganized. And I think a pre-shot routine serves two purposes. It helps you to collect your thoughts and prepare for the shot at hand, but it also gets you into a pattern and rhythm that will help you throughout 
the rest of your round. What do you think? You know what? You're you're absolutely right. And I don't believe that people realize how much thinking goes into playing, if you will, and how many times mm-hmm. you need to change your thoughts. And if you don't pay attention to what is going on right here, right now, the task at hand, then what you need, you're not going to be paying attention to what you need to be paying attention to. So a pre-shot routine is going to kind of slap you upside the head and say, wait, what are we doing right now? And so yep. each shot is a separate challenge. And if you don't know what you're doing, then it's going to be very difficult to be able to wait. Okay, stop. Now we hit our tee shot. Now what are we doing? Oh, we got to walk up to this next shot. Well, how far away are we? Where's the trouble? Mm-hmm. Where do I want to hit the ball? How far is it? What's the wind doing? What's my lie look like? All those things need to go through your head. And if you haven't, if you don't have the experience of playing enough to know that, you're going to trip and fall because we all do. Even mm-hmm. when we know what we're doing, you know, we, you know, the little gerbil in our head can go off on a tangent. So you need to totally <laughs> be aware of what's going on at the moment. Yeah. And I think, too, again, it helps to organize. If you watch most of the, in fact, all of the the tour players that have a pre-shot routine, you'll also notice something else. It's not just about getting them in a physical place, uh, you know, a waggle here, a waggle there, and, you know, looking at their intended target line and and so on in in their pre-shot routine. Uh, It's also, as I said, not just a way of organizing, but it's also a way of preparation. And, And here's my point. If you watch what happens uh, during a player that's going through their pre-shot routine and something, whether it's be uh, noise from the crowd or some other distraction, the real, especially the really, really good players will stop what they're doing and they'll repeat that whole routine again. They're not doing it because they've lost confidence in their golf swing or because they don't know what to do. They're doing it because they're regrouping. They're trying to refocus their efforts in preparation for that shot. So they're regathering their thoughts, if you will, in preparation for the shot at hand. And that's important. And that's something that a lot of amateurs fail to do. Now, again, we've got to be conscious of time on, on, the, uh, you know, on the golf course. We can't be taking forever. But a few seconds of preparation before each shot and, and getting yourself in some sort of a pattern is going to help you, believe it or not, through the rest of your round. So just something to think about next time you're developing that pre-shot routine. Um, it, it serves a, a multiple of purposes. Cindy, this is one I know that you're very passionate about, and that is club face control. Um, you know, if the club face isn't hitting it the right way, you know, we produce a myriad of shots most often than not, ones we don't really want. What do we need to do here and what do we need to focus on to really help keep that club face square? Well, you need to know what square it looks like. <laughs> Let's start with that. <laughs> so many people mm-hmm. think that the face is square when the toe sits down on the ground, and that's not the case. Yep. When the toe sits, the toe of the club, like the toe of your foot, um, when the toe sits down, the face is closed or shut, which means the ball is going to go left. So it's very important that you know that at the end of the grooves, the grooves are on the face of an iron. At the end of the grooves, those two lines extend out straight to where you want the ball to go. So it's real important that you know what square is. 
and then you're going to swing yep. the club head back and you want to come back down to the bottom of the arc and make it be square at impact. If you do that, the ball will go straight. So club face control, you know, needless to say, is really important because that's the only thing that touches the ball is the face. Right. And and just to add in there, too, that's why your grip is so important. If you don't have a good grip to begin with and your club face is not square uh, when you're addressing the ball, then there's a pretty good chance, right, Cindy, that it's not going to be square coming into the ball through the golf swing. So, you know, this is where really understanding and, and getting your grip uh, right the first time is going to help. Um, great uh, great points, Cindy. Um, this one here won't get in a lot because, it, you know, there's there's a lot of – detail and but i just want to mention it and that is uh to rotate your torso to remember to rotate that and what i mean by that is a lot of times we see uh semi golfers as they're uh you know they've addressed the ball they've got a good setup in that but in their takeaway they they get a lot of lateral movement some people especially tall players have a problem with this because they're so tall and very leggy like i am and they start to sway in their backswing and they're not really turning their torso they're just sort of moving and shifting back because they think well i got to get back on my right leg right-handed golfers of course and they're not actually turning their uh, torso so it's an actually rotation there's very little lateral movement there is obviously some uh, but you have to rotate your torso as well Um, and again there's a lot of great videos um, you know out there make sure that you check and see who it is that's putting it out there but a lot of great videos on that so we won't get too much Um, do you want to add anything to that or or can we move on I just want to make sure that you don't sway and turn your head as you swing the arms back and let your torso go back with you. If you say rotate your torso, it depends on how someone takes it. And sometimes they think they have to turn their their sternum back to the target and then their head goes with it and then they come off the ball and then they hit it fast. So just be careful that your head stays still as everything swings Mm -hmm. around your sternum. Yep, great point. Um, All right, another one is, uh, and this is something I like to do with with many of my students because it's a great way uh, to help with your timing and your tempo, and that is take a full swing but at half speed. So in other words, don't hit it, uh, don't swing at full speed about half, about 50% of your power. Um, This is a great way to really kind of check everything as you're doing um, and and getting into um, a, a really good position uh, throughout your swing, um, and it, it helps to build your your tempo and your timing and your rhythm, if you will, um, and to see whether or not you're doing some of the things you know that we talk about in a golf swing, whether you're swaying too much or whether uh, it, it's a great time. And it also it's 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 good, especially when you're in a practice session, uh, to start out at half speed and sort of work your way up and just to warm up the muscles. And there's a lot of other benefits as well, but that's something that I like to do. I don't know if you uh, do that with any of your students at all, but uh, I like to do that. I think it helps to really develop that tempo and timing. What are your thoughts here? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's pretty difficult for people to do that. They all want to kill the ball. So, you know, it, it can be difficult to take a full swing at half, a full swing at half speed. It's, it's not that easy, but it's a great practice no. drill. Well, I want to just add it, share a real quick story um, that somebody shared here recently on uh, on uh, Golf Talk Live, um, or uh, personally, sorry, uh, about Payne Stewart. Of course, the late Payne Stewart was a PGA uh, uh, touring professional, um, and 
he actually used to do that. And one of the things that he used to became very, a lot of people may not know this, became very proficient. He would take a seven iron and swing about half speed, and he would hit, and I mean with accuracy, his seven iron 100 yards, which obviously seven iron would go much longer uh, for, for a tour pro. And he was so good that many of his fellow professionals, he used to have little side bets on the practice tee. Uh, and he said, grab your seven iron. We're going to hit that green out there and be about 100 yards out. And the majority of them couldn't do it. They couldn't land. He would land everyone on the green. And he just had beautiful timing and beautiful rhythm. And he did that very same thing. And I've talked to a few people that knew him very well. And they said that he used to do that a lot at that sort of half speed, if you will, swing. He'd take a full swing. And you know, if you've ever watched him play, he had a pretty good swing. Um, but he would do it at half speed, and he would actually hit shots with various different clubs. Um, obviously, they're not going to go full distance, but it was to develop that smooth uh, swing that he had. And so that's something to think about. And uh, he obviously became very proficient at it. So I just want to share that. Um, there was a purpose for it, and it helped him many, many times out in the uh, golf course. If he was faced with a shot that he maybe needed to use a different club, uh, he could just have to swing speed, if you will. And he was able to uh, to pull it off quite uh, quite easily, and that's why he won uh, so many tournaments. Um, obviously, another one uh, is to spend more time putting, uh, and also I'm going to add in here, Cindy, is to develop a routine for putting as well. That's an area you know people don't realize that, but you need a, uh, a pre-shot, if you will, or putting routine. Um, to help uh, because that's a, a big part of your game. It's over 50% of your game is on the putting uh, surface, and it's something that you need to really work on. Um, touch on that a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, Cindy, about uh, about putting, and, and what about a, a good routine for that? Hi, Cindy, I don't know if you got your mic muted. I did, I did. I do that all the time, sorry. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so you've got to stop and ask yourself, am I comfortable standing over the ball? Do I like the way this feels? Is my grip comfortable? Is this how I want to stand? Can I see the line? So I think the first thing you need to do is just do a little inventory for yourself to say, am I good here? Or do I want to change something up? Because I think so many people just grab and go. And you don't want to grab and go in golf. You want to ask yourself, am I doing the right thing? So the first part of this would be, am I comfortable? Is this the grip that I want? Am I the right distance from the ball? Can I see the line? Sometimes, you know, I've been told so many times i got to get my eyes over the ball. When I get my head over the ball, I can't see the line. So what I found was mm-hmm. if I move a little further away and open my stance, I'm right eye dominant so I can see where I'm going. And it's like, oh, this is right. way better. So I think that's the number one uh, thing you should do. And then ask yourself, how am I going to set up to hit the ball? You know, do, am I going to walk behind it? What is my process? Am I going to see the line? How am I going to figure out the speed? Do I change the width of my stroke or do I hit it softer and harder? You know, in my opinion, you should never try to hit it harder because if you do that, you know, you're probably going to three putt a lot. I just take, I shorten my stroke for shorter putts and I lengthen my stroke for longer putts, but I don't give it any more distinctive effort of hit. So I think you just have to ask yourself, how can I improve my putting and have less three putts? And knowing how to do distance control is a big deal. Your thoughts? Yep. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think, uh, you know, and every shot, Nicholas talked very famously in his uh, video, Golf My Way, he talked about how he had the same swing. Obviously, we're talking about putting here, but he generally he had the same swing. He just used different clubs. And putting, uh, again, it's just it's for distance control, you want to have the same rhythm in your in your putting stroke. It's just a matter of whether the putter goes a little further back and a little further through, um, dictating the, the distance that you need. And obviously, practice is something that is going to help you there. But yeah, you don't want to you know you don't want a short putt kind of just do a little short jab and just poke at it, and then you get a longer one. You come back and you you know you're slapping at it. You want to have the same rhythm. The only difference is how far the putter head is going to move in the stroke, in, in the movement itself is going to dictate how far the putt goes. But it should be with the same sort of tempo and rhythm uh, regardless. It's just a matter of the distance that the putter face is going to move uh, back and forth. Um, but, yeah, that's a great point. Um, chipping is another area, Cindy, that a lot of folks um, really neglect. And um, one of the things – and and again, there's there's multiple camps on this. Some people think, well, you know, it's okay if you've got a favorite club. I don't like to use one specific club for chipping. I think there's you should have options, and it could be as little as a, a six iron, seven, eight, nine uh, iron. It could be you know a number of your wedges. It depends on where the pin is located on the green. If it's close up, obviously you're going to use a more lofted club. If it's further along, you might want to hit something like a seven or eight iron, depending on how far and how big the green is. Um, because the idea is, if you've got a, you know, if you've got, um, you know, say 40 or 50 feet or more to the pin, and you're you're off in the fringe, and it's maybe uh, or in the rough, and let's say it's too far, uh, you know, to, or to use your putter, it's not good to use your putter in that particular shot. Uh, to try and fly the ball that far with any sort of accuracy um, is not a good idea. So I like to get the ball rolling. You know, get it on the green right away, uh, again, using maybe a 6, 7, or 8 iron, and get it rolling as quickly as possible, like a putt, but I'm going to use that lofted club, like a 6, 7, or 8, to get it over that, that fringe and, and get it on the green. So I'll pick a spot and do that. And so there's a lot of flexibility, but that's an area that a lot of golfers really, I think, could save a bunch of strokes in addition to working on their putting. What do you think? Agree. Totally agree. And And if you're right, handed i just say if you want the ball to roll put the ball towards your right foot right foot is roll if you want it to be a little more lofty left is loft and then middle Mm -hmm. is neutral so i just chip uh with a couple clubs but i agree with you it's better to roll it longer instead of trying to fly it to the hole and think it's going to stop yeah because you don't know i mean there, there could be trouble behind uh that part of the green maybe there's water or a bunker and if you don't, if the ball doesn't stop where you need it to stop, or you fly it a little bit too far, you know, then you're off, and now you've you found some trouble on the other side. Uh, and sometimes it could be, you know, cost you, you know, an extra stroke or two. So I, I agree. I like to, you know, obviously the optimal is to have the ball rolling on a putting surface because that's the most pure that you're going to find out there. Um, so whatever you can do to to get it running very quickly. So again, if it's closer, you know, you want to have a little bit more lofted club because it's going to have to stop quickly. Um, but uh, for those little bit longer distances on the putting surface, you know, I, again, I would use, and, and again, you don't have to use five or six different clubs, but you need to have a, a less lofted club or two maybe and your higher lofted clubs depending on the circumstances. But get out there and practice it because that's really going to help your game. And the last one, of course, hence the word practice, uh, practice wisely 
and not aimlessly. Um, I mean, we've talked about this, I know, to death, but I can't emphasize enough how many times, excuse me, how many times we see out in the putting surface or out in the practice tee where people are just raking balls and just raking balls and hitting them and not doing anything. So make the most of your practice. Cindy, I know that you do a lot of boot camps and that. What do you try to encourage your students during those boot camps to do during a practice session? I want them to pay attention to what they're trying to do and step back and think rather than just hit the ball. I mean, so many people just want to hit the ball, and they don't understand that what they do at the club determines where the ball goes. So if, if I were able to say, let's have a little bit of wisdom here, and how can we step back and think about what we want to do so that we produce the shot that we're looking for? Don't you agree? Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, you, you've got to simulate, and, you know, a lot of pros talk about this, you know, simulating what it's going to be like out in the golf course. And you can use, this is where imagination comes in. I mean, you think about, you know, you get up in the practice tee, and most, most of the modern uh, practice areas, you know, might have multiple green locations. So you kind of just use a little bit of, um, you know, thought process. So maybe in the, in the distance there's a couple of big trees that are, you know, several yards apart. So you can kind of say, okay, that's my... I'm going to aim for those trees, and right in the middle there is, is uh, I'm going to use that as my um, fairway, if you will, try to keep it between those trees. And then, you know, your next shot, maybe, you know, you've, you've landed it hopefully out in the middle of the fairway in, in your mind, and now you've got an approach shot. So, again, depending on whether it's a longer hole or it's a shorter hole, you've got multiple greens that you can use, and you can say, okay, I need to do an approach here. I've got my trusty seven iron out here, and that's the right distance to get me to that green. So you visualize each hole. And I like to, particularly if you play a course with any sort of regularity, I like to get golfers to visualize a few holes, especially ones that give them difficulty. Uh, it's easy to do the ones that you, you do well on, but use some holes. Use that practice time to work on holes that give you a lot of difficulty. So if you've got one that maybe you've got to fly over lo- uh, water, it's a par three, just imagine that there's a lake or a pond in front of that green out there, and you've got to make sure you carry it over. So just some good visualization drills, and again, develop a solid pre-shot routine is definitely going to help you, um, you know, get into the to the right mindset for each of your shots. But um, I think that's uh, I think that's pretty much it, Cindy. I think if people listen to that and really get out there and focus on some of the things that we've talked about, I know we can't get into too much great detail uh, and not being able to provide visual effects. But I think people have a general idea of what we're trying to talk about here. So those are some tips to help improve your golf game. And if you apply yourself appropriately, uh, you're going to have a successful season. And you're not going to hit every shot perfect, of course, as we know, but you're going to overall have a good season. All right, we've got to move on. Our guest is here, so we're gonna, uh, I'm going to do a quick introduction, Cindy, and then we'll bring her on and uh, continue the discussion. All right, our special guest this morning is Marissa Kulig-Crow. Uh, she is a Class A LPJ teach professional at the Lyman Orchards in Middlefield, Connecticut. Uh, she's entering actually her uh, ninth full-time season as a teaching professional there. Uh, she was honored with being named 2019 Teacher of the Year by the LPGA for the Northeast, uh, and both uh, Marissa and the Lyman Orchards uh, organization uh, built the most successful women's golf program in the Northeast and one of the biggest and best in the United States with well over 800 women attending uh, the program in 2020 and over 160 women playing in the golf league. 
since uh, Marissa started the program at Lyman Orchards in 2013, over 3,800 female participants have gone through her Golf for Women program. Uh, she's been in the golf business for the majority of her life and uh, with positions ranging from greenskeeper, head golf professional to general manager, and she's been a member of the LPGA Teaching and Club Professional Division since 2001. So, Cindy, let's welcome our very special guest, Marissa Kulig Crow. Good morning, my friend. <laughs> Good morning, Cindy. <laughs> Marissa is one of my favorite people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> you you tell well, that everyone. Is... <laughs> no, I don't. No, I don't. I can tell Go you ahead, this, that one of the best things about this is um, she sent me an apple pie with crumblies on top. She gets extra points for that. Wait a minute. How come I didn't? Wait a minute. How come I didn't get one of those? You're not as special as me, dear. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, Cindy, go ahead. Driving? Yes, I'm driving, heading on to work. Oh, boy. Um, so, number one, Ted, Marissa's at one of the coolest places ever. She was nice enough to host the LPGA at uh, Lyman Orchards a few years ago. We did an event. And she is amazing, and so is her facility. And needless to say, Orchards is true because they do have pies. And um, I was so sad because I wanted an apple pie with crumblies on top, and she sent me one for Christmas. But besides that, she's one of the best teachers in the world. So we want to know, how did you make your golf women's golf program so successful? Because now I'm going to copy you, so give us a scoop. <laughs> okay, here's the secret. No. <laughs> um, I think I'm fortunate that the facility itself, you know, it lends itself to um, learning. Um, I'm for, I have 45 holes on the property, um, so two 18-hole championship courses, a, a, a par three nine-hole course. Um, I mean, lots of space, lots of spacing. I mean, that's number one. Number two. Um, I have a great staff. I have another female with me, Andrea Frappier. She's an LPGA apprentice. Um, we keep the program simple. We have a lot of fun. As you know, Cindy, I love to laugh. So, <laughs> you know, the women, the women feel comfortable. And um, I can't believe every year we've increased their numbers. This year we're tracking to like 12 to 1,400 in one season. Wow. Wow. So I how long are this, the lessons? So how many sessions it, do you do? Do you do like 101, 201? Yeah, we do 101 through 501. <laughs> uh, so there's lots of room for progression. I think that's another reason why we're successful. There's always another level. Um, so 301 through 501, they're all on-course classes. So 301 takes place on the par 3 course, kind of an introduction to the, to the, to the course. And then 401, 501 is all on, like, the, the longer courses. Um, smaller classes and, I mean, on-course experience, I mean, the women love that instead of just, you know, out on the range. Perfect. But this, <laughs> so we have five. We have five-week sessions, and 
in one season, we have a spring session one, spring session two, a summer session one, summer session two, and then a fall session. So there's five sessions, five weeks each. Um, so there's available each session. So people can join any time, or I have women that basically progress through the season. They'll do through 301 or 401. So how long is each session? Five weeks. No, but duration of class. Oh, it's an hour, one hour. So like how um, many people per class? So 101, we have a 10 to 1 uh, student to instructor ratio. Uh, 201, it's like 8 to 1. 301 is 5 to 1, and then the 401, 501 is like anywhere from 2 to 4 students. So, I mean, because we have 6 instructors on hand, um, there's usually 2 or 3 classes happening at once, you know, happening, happening simultaneously. So, for example, this wow. session we just started this week, we have 40 classes in one week, and I counted 560 <laughs> what did you just say? Five, 560 ladies, different ladies are taking classes this week for the next five weeks. Oh. <laughs> wow. It's mind-blowing. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> oh I mean, the progress. <laughs> How much yeah, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, each class, you know, the level one is 149, um, and then 501 is 499. For five weeks. Yep, five weeks. Hmm. Five weeks. And, but they, as the, with the on-course classes, we, we add this, um, package of five classes called Practice with the Pros that are very popular. So the on-course classes, the women are getting three, really ten classes in total. They're getting five on-range classes and then five on-course classes. So they're getting best, the best of both worlds, you know, on-range practice time and then on-course time with the instructor. It's, it's working. <laughs> it's clearly working. Yeah, my mouth's hanging open. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Go ahead, Ted. You can ask a question. That's now. incredible. We'll let you. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> I'm still, my, my mouth's watering still thinking about the, the apple pie. Um, well, Marissa, thank you. Thank you for uh, for joining us and, and welcome to the program. I, I want to go back a little bit, uh, sort of, pre your teaching days and I, I saw through some of the notes that um, you know, obviously you intended, attended college. You, you actually at one point uh, played for uh, a, the men's team uh, during your collegiate experience and then you went on to play obviously for the women's team. Um, talk a little bit about what you learned from both of those experiences that you're carrying forward into your teaching today. What did you learn from your experience there that helped you with your game and your understanding of golf that you're carrying forward today? Ooh, that was 
so long ago. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, I mean, I never really, well, when I was, Cindy, you could probably say the same. I mean, when I started playing, there wasn't really many girls playing, and I really had no choice but to try out for the boys' team um, in high school, playing from the same tees. Um, I had to work harder. <laughs> um, and same thing with college. Again, there were, weren't enough women to make up a team, so, again, I had to try out for, for with the men. But I don't know. I, I guess it... It's, I don't. I don't know how to answer this question. I just. Um, well, well, let me let me rephrase it a little bit, Marissa, and maybe this will help. What about with the coaches? You obviously, um, you know, met some great coaches uh, and maybe had a chance to to work with them. Was there something specific that is sort of rings in your mind that they taught you or explained to you or showed you? that has sort of resonated with you today and something that maybe you incorporate in your own teaching? Ah, okay. Does that help? <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess working with, I've worked probably with a handful of different coaches and just being exposed to both men and women coaches, um, I was able to pick up on different styles of teaching and I think the most important thing is being diverse, um, like being able to communicate uh, in different ways, different fashions, either, you know, being more visual or just being able to reach as many people as possible, but using different, um, just different styles, I guess. And I guess I, I try to keep things super simple. Um, and I use a lot of acronyms, metaphors, um, visuals, and I know, like, that always helped me growing up, like, just different, you know, show me a different way of doing this, you know, different drills, or, um, so it's right. just, just being able to reach everyone with their different styles of learning. Yep, and, and that's great. I mean, that's great to, you know, because everybody is so different, um, in in the way that they learn the game, I think they're you know one of the mistakes for many many years in golf was sort of that one size or one method fits all, and I think we've right. started to understand as time's gone on that again some people are visual and and so forth, and so you you have to be willing to adapt and create different approaches to the game. When you think of golf teaching in its various components and different parts of the game. Is there a particular area of the game, and I'll give you just an example, is it the short game, is it, uh, you know, maybe in in the bunkers, is there a particular area of your game uh, or teaching that you really particularly love to teach, or are you just sort of everything above? Hmm. (laughs) I guess it depends on the player. Like the new golfer, I love teaching full swing. I love teaching full swing. I keep it super simple. I give them three little words, and then watching them get the ball in the air, and they're they're blown away. They're so excited. Um, I think that's the most rewarding part is just having someone with just a like a 
couple minutes of instruction and they're 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 surpassing their their goals. They're just they're blown away. But I think with the better players, I really enjoy short game because I think that's where I excel personally. Um, when I was growing up, my dad always had us chipping in the backyard like an hour after dinner every night, me and my siblings. Um, so chipping and putting, and I had to excel in that part of the game because playing against the guys, I didn't hit the ball as long. I hit it straight, but I could never hit it as far. So I really got them around the greens, and I think with the better skilled players, I I really enjoy you know tweaking their game in that sense shaving strokes yeah I I think that's a great way to approach it as well because I I agree I think uh, you know for newer players they have to really understand the golf swing first and there's no point really getting into all of the other aspects of the game until they really understand sort of the fundamentals if you will first and foremost but then understanding the overall swing and then you sort of work them up into some of the the finessing if you will around the around the green Um, but some great yeah great great approach I like that Um, Cindy go ahead so how many hours a day do you teach? <laughs> um, gosh, I don't know. It ranges from, I'd say, 6 to 10. Got I it. mean, for example, four, mm, three out of the five days I teach, I drop my son off at preschool at 9 o'clock. I hit the road. I get down there for 1030. I teach from 11 till 7.30. Hit the road again, come home for 9. Good night. <laughs> and, then yeah, the I hear <laughs> and then the other two days, they're my earlier days, I have to leave the house at 6, and then I come home at, say, 5. That's an early day. Uh, but just the season, not like this 12 months out of the year. Right, season, Cindy? <laughs> What do you do if it rains? We do have four covered days. So um, the smaller classes, private lessons I can teach underneath the bay. Otherwise, we do build in an extra week um, into our our five-week sessions for cancellations. But it's really tough with so many women in these classes. It's like bring a rain jacket, wear a hat. I mean, if it's pouring and there's light, there's lightning, then we're in trouble. But um, yeah, <laughs> I don't so like you have one makeup week. You have exactly, one makeup that's week. it. One makeup week. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Wow. And that's, don't don't worry about the tornado. Yeah, yeah, don't worry about the tornado in the background. Just bring your hat and your jacket, and let's uh, let's get to the lesson. Wow. <laughs> I like that. That's 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 a great command of your uh, of your program. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I had to throw I had to throw that. It's like, hey, but we got apple pie over here, so come on in and have some have some nice warm apple pie. <laughs> well, while we wait for the storm to pass over, you can have some nice apple pie with some crumble on top. Sorry, go ahead, Marissa. Yeah, stop whining, right? Stop. Shut yeah. up and stop whining. <laughs> So, Go ahead, and you live like an hour and a half away from where you work, don't you? Um, hour 10, hour 15. If there's construction, then it's more like an hour and a half. Yeah. 
I do the same and thing. I, I live an hour from where I work, yeah, and people are looking at me yeah. like I'm crazy, but I've done it so long, it's not that big a deal. Yeah. I mean, I wish I would, I could move closer, but um, I have a, you know, I have a five-year-old son, and my in-laws and my parents are local, so I really can't pass that up. <laughs> That's for and I'll sure. I'll suffer the drive. Yeah. I'm lucky in that sense. Yeah. Ted, go ahead. So what are your future plans as far? Are there any new programs that you're um, considering introducing into the fold from what you're doing right now? Uh, I mean, obviously it sounds like you've you've already got a full plate and there's probably not a lot of room left, but has there been some things that you've thought about that you're not doing now that you'd really like to incorporate maybe either later this season or maybe over the next couple of seasons? Well, I, this winter was recently certified um, with Karen Palacios Jansen uh, with her cardio golf program. So I, I taught some cardio golf classes this winter via Zoom. And I'm also um, a yoga for golfers, Catherine Roberts, yoga for golfers certified yep. instructor. So I, I teach, I taught a lot of that this winter, which is great. Um, yoga for golfers and cardio golf. So, I mean, I definitely did it for myself, <laughs> um, but right. it was very popular, very popular in the off season. You know, people were home, um, maybe not ready to go to the gym. So um, I wish I had more time during the season to do that. So, like, yoga for golfers, just golf stretches, and then um, – Cindy, you're familiar with, with Karen's cardio golf program? We just had her on last week. Yeah. Very oh, she's amazing. She's awesome. Yeah, yeah. she's awesome. Oh, I'm, yep. happy, I'm happy to join her, her team mm. there. So, I, I mean, I wish I had more time to do both of those programs. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's important. That's an area that... Yeah, that's an area that gets overlooked a lot in golf. Everybody's, you know, focused on trying to hit the perfect shot out in the practice team but they forget about the preparation and, you know, some sort of a good, you know, exercise or fitness routine to sort of tone up those golf muscles, if you will. Uh, let me ask you one, one uh, final question, if I may, and that is, you know, we've obviously gone through this pandemic. Um, one of the pluses, if there are any to be had, uh, is the fact that the golf industry has, has benefited greatly um, by a surge of people coming out that, you know, we're tired of watching Netflix or what have you at home and just needed to get out and do something and golf benefited greatly. What has been your experience? Uh, again, I know you're just kind of getting into this season, but what about last season when things, you know, were opening up and that um, for you? What was some of the experiences that you had with new people coming out to the golf course? What were they looking for? Um, how enthusiastic were they? And what did you do to try to sort of hook them in and say, hey, this is something that you can do for a lifetime? Were there any conversations like that, or what did you do in general? Um, with with our the first class, uh, we always do like an icebreaker, an introduction. I go around the class, and I have them introduce themselves, where they're from, and why they're there. And last year and, and even this year, Yes, COVID has totally sparked <laughs> the golf industry. Um, women are saying that 
they have time, um, they mm-hmm. they want to take up a new hobby, or they've always wanted to take up golf or try it, but they never had an opportunity before. Um, but they they just like I just want to be outside. Um, they feel safe, you know. They're they're outdoors, and I think it's nice to be around other women um, because you know being locked up, you don't get a lot of social interaction. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> they they have a blast. I mean, we're just talking, we're having fun. You know, they're they're either getting ready for retirement or they just retired, perhaps. Um, but yeah, they're 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 excited to learn something new. And I mean, I have ages ranging from 17 to 80, and they're still you know they're still excited to learn something new and they're having fun. And a lot of their friends and family yeah. are doing it, so they want to they want to join in. They don't want to be left out. <laughs> right. What would you say? I'm just gonna. I, I lied. I'm gonna have one follow-up question on that. What would you say to maybe the women that may be tuning in this morning who are not active in golf and are sitting on the fence? They're saying, "Well, it looks kind of hard, and and I don't want to embarrass myself." What would that discussion be that you would have with them to encourage them to come on out and, and give it a try? Oh my goodness. <laughs> um. I mean, take the time. I mean, there's there's so many opportunities to practice and learn. Um, there's so many great instructors out there. I think not only am I teaching the game, but um, I kind of overlooked this, but I'm making them feel comfortable. I think that's number one, making them feel comfortable. You're not embarrassing yourself. There's so many other women that are in the same boat. Um, just try it. It's a lifelong sport. I mean, I have a lot of women that say, you know, I, I don't care if I'm, I'm, if I'm good. I don't get good at it, but I just want to keep up, and I want to join in. I want to, I want to socialize. So, every, anyone can do it, right, Cindy? Anyone can play. Um, just do it. Get outdoors. You won't regret it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. Any final questions, uh, Cindy, or, or comments before we go? No, just I love you, Darlin. Great job. Oh, I love you too. Don't work too hard. <laughs> <laughs> you too. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank well, you for we having the courage it. to sign up. <laughs> <laughs> I had to give her a little crap, Ted. I had to give her a little yeah. crap. He was well, afraid listen, to you, grab the club. Oh, <laughs> listen! If you if you had sent me the pie the first time, you would have been on the very next day. So uh, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Send me your address, well, Marissa. Yeah, I, I may I I may have to do that. Uh, very quickly, uh, Marissa, before we go, let the folks know if they want to reach out to you. Uh, where they can go to get more information about Lyman Orchard, but also how they can get in touch with you personally if they want to uh, to uh, maybe take some lessons or, or get you to help them with their golf game. How can they reach out? Um, well, Lyman Orchard, very simple. It's lymangolf.com. Um, or you can look me up. Um, I just created a new website. It's called marissasgolfmovement.com. Um, 
and that's my Instagram handle, Marissa's Golf Movement. Perfect. Well, Marissa, we want to thank you very much for joining us this morning. It's been fun, and uh, we're uh, stay safe uh, on the rest of your journey to work. Don't uh, uh, don't talk on the phone any longer than you have to. But we appreciate you taking some time uh, speaking with us this morning, and uh, we hope you'll come back again. Thanks again. Have a great day. Thank you, honey. Thank you. Drive careful. Bye, Cindy. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, Marissa Kulig-Crow, uh, LPGA teacher professional at the Lyman Orchards in Middlefield, Connecticut. Great young lady, a lot of very upbeat, very positive, just a great laugh, of course, and just uh, very passionate about the game. And, man, what a hard worker. She's a chip off of your right? block, that's for sure, isn't she? Yeah, <laughs> now I know why you want to have her on the show. They're all learning from you. I Listen, I, I've said this before, you know, you're, you, you are a great inspiration to so many uh, people out there in this industry, they all speak very highly of you, and um, they know you're you're uh, an incredible worker, and uh, it's uh, it's rubbing off on a lot of these younger uh, um, women out there that are getting into the business or have been in the business. They all recognize uh, what you do, Cindy. So thank you. Oh, stop! <laughs> thank you, Ted. I was hoping maybe you, I was hoping to say next time I get a pile, share some with you, but it didn't come out that way. So all right. All right, we want to thank everybody for uh, for joining us this morning on the Women of Golf. We appreciate it. We want to thank our guest, and uh, hope you got a little bit of uh, something out of our, our tips on the OBS zone earlier. And again, uh, our our thoughts and prayers go out to the Abrams family uh, for for Bill's passing, and we uh, again are very sad about that. But um, we will see you next time. On behalf of uh, Cindy Miller, I'm Ted Rico. Thanks for joining us this morning. God bless everybody. And we'll see you next week here on the Women of Golf. And we will have the winner next week from the latest Symmetra Tour. They're back. They were off this week. Um, but they're, the next few weeks, they're going to be there. So we'll start having the winners again. So hope you come back and join us. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Cindy. Thanks, Ted. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Women of Golf show. Ted and Cindy wish to thank this week's special guests. Remember to join them every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the iGolf Sports Network or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on the show, you can follow the Women of Golf's Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash womenofgolf. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.